Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week might just feel like Christmas for my co-host. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, it's Fast and the Furious time. Thank God with Fast X in theaters. And I started watching an amazing new sci-fi show on Apple TV Plus called Silo. But first, it is a huge weekend with Fast X in theaters now. All right, dorks, what are we blowing up? The Vatican? You guys are going to hell. He's coming for you with everything. You party? I party. (laughs) One of us might not come back for us. Get out of there. You've done everything you could. Not everything. Fast X is at 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is about par for the course. The last one uh, hit in the 50s as well, I believe. This time around, we have Jason Momoa as the bad guy. He's the son of the bad guy from Fast Five by the looks of the trailers, and he wants his revenge. He was the guy they had in mind to play The Rock's brother in the Sean Hobbs spinoff movie, but the scheduling didn't work out for that, so he wasn't there. But he's in the franchise now, and he wants to kill the gang, and a lot of stuff will blow up and cars will go fast, I'm sure. Fast Fast X is the 10th installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, which began 22 years ago, although I guess it is actually the 11th installment because of the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff a couple years back. And while Fast X will be the quote-unquote finale of the series, Vin Diesel told the world this week that it'll be a three-parter, and this is just part one. So there are three parts? Two more. This is uh, Vin Diesel uh, spouting off on the red carpet somewhere else in the world, so we'll see. I don't know. Could you take Vin Diesel at his word? (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) We knew this was a part one, but, uh, you know, up until he said that, we thought it would just be a two-parter. So, at any rate, this movie uh, will not be the last we see of the Fast and the Furious, folks. It was a much simpler time in the world and the franchise back in the summer of 2001 when it all began. And I rewatched the whole series over the last uh, couple of months. That first movie was about an FBI agent played by Paul Walker going undercover to infiltrate a gang of street racers who were suspected of being thieves, stealing such lucrative items as semis filled with DVD players. Um, And the leader of the street racing gang was played, of course, by Vin Diesel. And we were off and running. Some of the acting leaves a lot to be desired in that first movie, but they were all so young. Paul and Vin actually became better actors, and the writer, Chris Morgan, who wrote most of the screenplays, got better at writing to their strengths, which mostly meant giving them less dialogue in each subsequent movie. Um, There are a couple of weird sequels that followed without Vin Diesel as he tried to prove to Hollywood he had range and when that went about as well as you'd think he came back to the franchise and then the unthinkable happened. The franchise took a hard turn into ludicrous action and became a massive hit and a ton of fun starting with that fifth movie. I've spent the past couple of months re-watching them all. I've not drawn any interesting conclusions. They're just fun and that's pretty much all there is to it. I will say Too Fast, Too Furious widely derided as the worst in the series and it probably is but it also grows on me more more every time I see it. Actually, I like that one quite a bit now. Two, three, and four are sort of uh, the weak links, but I think they're all good, just maybe not great. And then you got five, six, and seven. That's kind of the sweet spot with... Fast Five is, you know, where they really cranked it up and Six and Seven kept it going. And then, of course, there was the real-life death of Paul Walker, as well as the splintering of The Rock and Vin Diesel's relationship, and that changed the movies after that. So Eight was kind of weird 
for those reasons. Nine, we saw a different writer and they went to space, which had been long been a, a joke about the series and how it continued to heighten with each new movie. It was fun in the moment, but it may be one dumb thing too far. And like we've been talking about, there was the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff, which had a lot of good qualities, but is also somehow the movie I find hardest to rewatch. Everything else seems to move along nicely, but when I pop in uh, the Hobbs and Shaw Blu-ray, uh, for some reason I can only watch it in like 20-minute chunks before I need a, a significant break, so it's kind of boring somehow with all the mayhem going on. I don't know. At any rate, it's been a blast re-watching the series. Can't wait to see this new one. I got my tickets uh, for this holiday weekend, and uh, we'll have much more on that, whether you like it or not, next week. Yeah, it's going to be a good uh, good few weeks here for chaos action. I mean, first of all, I rewatched Fast 9 over the weekend. It's on Crave, and um, I was looking for a movie to watch, and I went to Crave, and that popped up, and I thought, ah, what the heck, I'll give this a whirl. I actually enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. Because you catch all the nuances <laughs> of all the uh, performances <laughs> and the writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's not that I disliked it the first time. I think it just... It was the, as much as I enjoy the over-the-top the nature of these films, yeah. uh, eight in particular was way too much, and then nine just once they went to space. While they were very tongue-in-cheek about the whole thing, yeah. it just was still a little too much. But I, I think once going into it, knowing what was coming, I enjoyed the lunacy of it all even more. So, yeah, I'm really excited for Fast X. Like, And I saw these movies in the weirdest order. Like I saw fast five before I saw any of the other ones. Really? Yeah. So, and I, and I don't know, I don't remember if I even saw Tokyo drift still, Ooh, if I go. did, if I did see it, I just flat out don't remember anything <laughs> about it, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind going back and rewatching all of them, but I didn't have time to do that. So I enjoyed fast nine and yeah, so we've got, Fast 10 coming out this weekend. We've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is coming out um, is that July, June? I think. I, I don't actually know. They did put a new trailer out this week, which uh, I forgot to grab a clip for, but it, it's mostly the same as that teaser trailer from a full year ago when yeah. uh, Top Gun Maverick came out, and they just added it, which is kind of good. It's kind of annoying. It's like we waited all this time for a new trailer, but it's also kind of good in that... Uh, they're not spilling the beans too much. There's, there's a new Fast 10 trailer that has a whole different stuff from the first one. I was like, come on, it's, you guys are showing too much. Yeah, and they, they make that. I think that trailer was like four and a half minutes for the new Fast 10. Yeah. And yeah, the uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 comes out on July 12th. So that mm -hmm. looks super intense. Yep. And the full trailer, speaking of new trailers, the full trailer debuted this week for a movie I am crazy excited for. On June 16th, Chris Hemsworth returns to Netflix in Extraction 2. Tyler, you were clinically dead nine months ago. But you survived. You fought your way back. You just have to find out why. So just to recap, because I've talked uh, quite a bit about Extraction in recent weeks, we did an episode where we talked about the movies we're looking forward to, and then I rewatched that first Extraction, and that first Extraction movie is about a black market mercenary who has nothing to lose. He's hired to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord, but in the murky underworld of weapons dealers and drug traffickers, an already deadly mission approaches the impossible. It had... Really cool action, including an 11-minute single-scene take that was nuts. 
Uh, it was a, I, you know what? After watching it again, I really, really enjoyed it. The first time I watched it, I liked it, but didn't love it. But the second time, I loved it. The action was amazing, and it showed that Hemsworth isn't just. Thor, the god of thunder. He's got some real action chops and acting chops. And now we have the sequel. You were the client's request. Yeah, the trailer doesn't have a lot of words. Just lots of action. Hemsworth is Tyler Rake. He barely survived the first movie. Now he's back with another deadly mission that takes him into a prison to rescue a family from a ruthless Georgian gangster. And that's Georgia the country, not the state. The action looks insane and it looks like we'll get more than one scene that's presented as a single take because in the teaser trailer we see an extended chunk of the melee in the prison yard it's all one shot and now in this new trailer there's a scene on a train where he's fighting everyone and shooting and grenades are going off and it looks bonkers so punch kick guns car chase bombs flames action extraction two told me to find the reason I fought my way back. Let's find out. I wish, I mean, this is, I think, a major coup for Netflix that they got something like this because the quality of the action that is presented in this trailer is definitely big screen material, and I'm really sad that it's not showing on the big screen. Hopefully it maybe maybe end up being one of those where they like limited release. Yeah, one week on the big screen and then on Netflix kind of a deal. Yeah, that would be sweet, sweet, I've, sweet. I haven't seen the first one, but uh, I'm going to because you keep raving about it. So I got to get on that. When did you say this one comes out? June 16th. I got a, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Hopefully I haven't weeks. overhyped it. And again, it was same as the... Fast 9. I liked it more at second viewing. I liked Extraction more in the second viewing. Um, I think it was just because I kind of... The first... It's such a simple movie. And I think I was expecting more. And once you go into it with the understanding, like, it's just a simple action movie. Yeah, He's yeah. got to get in, get out... Everyone wants to kill him and his, you know, his, his, the package that he's trying to extract. Uh, so it's awesome. And should also mention as well, um, Ant Man: Quantumania is out now on now on Disney Plus. It came out Wednesday, May seventeenth. I had the dates mixed up. I thought it was May eighteenth. I would have watched it and given a second opinion to, today, but I guess I'll do that next week. And up next, can't wait to hear what Jeff has to say about a really exciting looking movie pertaining to. A huge piece of Canadian technology history. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I went to the movies this week. It's The Social Network Meets Air. I saw Blackberry. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the Force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. That guy is sketchy. I don't think he's sketchy. The guy's a shark. I know how to market it, and I know who we can sell it to. But I want 50% of the company, and I've got to be CEO. I don't know who you think you are, but deal. Are you joking? 
BlackBerry stars Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton as the guys behind BlackBerry, which took the world by storm and then vanished in the blink of an iPhone. Baruchel plays Mike... I like that, eh? The Baruchel plays Mike Lazaridis, who, uh, along with his team of very nerdy friends at Research in Motion, invented the BlackBerry. They had a brilliant idea and absolutely... No means of making their dream become a reality. Enter Jim Balsillie, a hothead businessman who didn't know jack about tech but knew how to sell it. So they teamed up and the BlackBerry became the first major smartphone in the early 2000s. And a few years later, for a variety of reasons, mostly corruption and the introduction of the iPhone, it all came crashing down. It's a lesson learned by almost all tech companies at one time or another as obsolescence eventually comes for everything in that field. All the stuff we have now in 10 years of course, will just be a useless collection of plastic and wires. But a few companies bought them out like BlackBerry did, especially considering how it was the king of the hill for a couple of years there. I remember... Jim Balsley being in the news a lot 15 years ago. I forgot most of the reasons why, but holy smokes, if he's really like he is portrayed in this movie, he is not a guy you'd want to spend a lot of time with. To call him a hothead like I did is to kind of put it lightly, at least the characterization in the movie. He has a lot of sudden rage-filled outbursts. Uh, it's almost commendable that he doesn't actually hit people, but he looks like he wants to all the time, and now he's the one played by Glenn Howerton, and Glenn Howerton has spent nearly 20 years playing Dennis Reynolds on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and if you've seen that show, you know that Dennis is a psychopath who is also prone to rage-filled outbursts, so this uh, role is right in Howerton's wheelhouse. And that's played for laughs on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and here there is a lot of laughing, there are a lot of laughs, but it's, and it is a very dark comedy, but it's also a little bit more serious at times, like it's always sunny is very silly most of the time um so in blackberry we're kind of meant to just take it more seriously and that's when you know someone raging out like that can get a little scary on the exact opposite side of the spectrum though which is why i might be a little bit skeptical of the characterizations because it's almost too yin and yang we have uh, Baruchel's, a very meek and quiet portrayal of the other part of the equation and mike lazaridis the real brains behind it all there's a lot of humor in watching him and his team the nerdy guys who like to watch indiana jones and you sort of wonder how they get any work done especially with mike in charge because he's not really a lay down the law kind of guy but they're good at what they do and they change the world and of course the other aspect of the movie to note is that this is all Canadian, uh, the subject matter and the movie itself. Research in Motion, of course, is based on Waterloo, Ontario, and even all, of, even though they you know, all become jet setters and have to travel to New York on a regular basis for meetings, they stay in Waterloo. They hold high-powered business meetings in what looks like a very crappy local diner. There's also a subplot in which uh, Jim Balsley tries to use his newfound wealth to buy an NHL team. I can't remember how much of that was public knowledge beforehand, but... Um, took a pretty wild swing, as it turns out. Frankly, uh, I found everything in this movie fascinating. It was, you know, the absolute cutting edge of technology, and now we look back and it feels kind of quaint. It's weird to have... Uh sort of like a nostalgia vibe going on with a smartphone because they just feel so new, but uh, there you go. Um, the Research Emotions dismissal of the iPhone's potential feels a little bit on the nose. I got to imagine they were a little bit more worried than they're portrayed in this movie. Maybe not. I mean, hindsight sort of clouds that stuff. A, a lot of it's set in offices and industrial environments, and it looks kind of suitably colorless and drab. It looks like they shot it very quickly and on a low budget. There's not a lot of sweeping, graceful camera shots or anything like that. It's, it's meant to evoke, I think, the seat of the pants nature by which this company started and ramped up to become the behemoth that it once was. And it's also got kind of a documentary 
pantry feel vibe. Uh, it's a classic story, though. I mean, uh, we've seen it a million times. Uh, they're nobody, they're somebody, and then it all falls apart. Great performances, an interesting story, uh, somehow weirdly important story in that it had a such a huge impact on general society. Great stuff all around. Four couch cushions out of five for Blackberry the movie in theaters right now. Yeah, when you talk about how it feel, it's weird to talk about something that is relatively new in the history of the world to be looking at it as nostalgia. Yeah. Like I remember a commercial where, so there was a gun and instead of a bullet, it fired a Blackberry, like an actual Blackberry. And it was in super slow motion. And eventually an apple comes into the screen (laughs) and the Blackberry basically explodes this apple. So though it was obvious what they were doing, but I remember seeing that commercial and thinking, wow, Blackberry's scared because they are, up until then, they hadn't been saying anything. They had been yeah. looking down on Apple, and now right. it was clear that they were scared. And we all know what happened. Apple and Samsung are king now, and BlackBerry is gonzo. It's weird that they're both named after fruit, but whatever. <laughs> That's true. That's true. In a moment, we are going to tell you about an awesome new show on Apple TV Plus and about an exciting show returning to Global. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. I started watching a new show this week, and I am extremely excited to tell you about it. I'm so glad I started watching it, because there's so much content to choose from, between cable and Netflix and Prime and Crave and Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. It can be hard to choose a show, because they're all blasting you with new shows every week, and now there's Paramount Plus, and I see the ads for their shows all the time, and I keep thinking, oh, man, that looks really good. I don't have that one. I tried it out last year, but I let it go. But since then, they've added so much new content that looks pretty cool. So the point is, there's a lot, and it's it can be tough to land, not only pick a new show, but land on one that you not just like but love. This new one is on Apple TV+. Plus. A service which, as you may remember, started out a few years ago with The Morning Show and a couple of other shows, but that's it. And they now offer quite a bit of solid-looking content with big stars, and I want to watch them all. And then I never end up watching any of them. Like, up until now, the only series I have watched on Apple TV Plus is Ted Lasso. And I've watched two Apple movies, that ghosted movie with Ana de Armas and Chris Evans from a uh, couple of months ago, and then from a couple of years ago, Come From Away, which isn't even really a movie. It's the Broadway show performed live on camera. But this new series really piqued my interest when I saw the trailer for it. I checked it out, and now I am all in. It's called Silo. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo and why we are underground. We only know the world outside our sanctuary is death. If you boil the pact down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside. Or you will go outside. 
Based on a series of books, Silo is a post-apocalyptic series set underground where 10,000 people live in a silo that goes 144 levels down. They don't know who built it. Seems like they've been down there at least 140 years. All they know is they're in there because apocalypse and the world outside has been poisoned. Or has it? What if what we see is not what's out there? The show stars Rebecca Ferguson, David Ayelowo, Common, Rashida Jones, Tim Robbins, and more. Three episodes have aired so far. It debuted on May 5th with two episodes, and now there's one a week every Friday. Ten episodes total in this first season, and there will be a second season. It's a fascinating story with an interesting society because of the rules that are in place, and which, of course, they're meant to protect the people. Some of them are weird, but we learn quite quickly that something is not quite right. So what's happening here? Who's calling, calling the shots? What do they really want with these people? And it's just a fun setting. Like, I love stories like this where an entire society is contained in the same enclosed setting. Like Snowpiercer, we've talked about that before. There was a movie starring Chris Evans, and then there was the television show on Netflix, and hopefully we'll get more seasons of that. But everyone left on the planet because the planet is iced over and everyone left is on this super long train that's like a thousand cars long and there's a major class system with first, second, third and then the tail or the tailies as they're known and uh, even something like Titanic where you'd see the Titanic difference in the way people are treated depending where they belong on the ship and I guess I should point out as well Silo as a concept like physically might sound a bit like Zion in the Matrix. Actually, I guess a lot like Zion, where everyone left, lived underground in a big silo. But Zion was way bigger. It had way more people. And that was related to an action sci-fi where this one is more of a mystery sci-fi but that's not to say it's not exciting like the third episode involves a situation where they have to fix something or the consequences for everyone will be dire and the attempt to repair it honestly is one of the most exciting and tense things i've seen in a while i thought i was going to have a heart attack and what a cast rebecca ferguson who also serves as an executive producer she's terrific so far david yellow gives a subdued and heartbreaking performance, and Tim Robbins is just creepy, and it's also gorgeous. I mean, yes, it's dark and it's grimy, but the sets are unreal, and the visual effects and the composites are solid because, like, when they sort of pan the cam or tilt the camera up or tilt it down, and then you so you're looking way up or looking way down, like the the transitions are are seamless. You genuinely believe you are in that silo and that they physically built it. It's just an awesome show. It's a fun mystery that has been slowly revealing little tidbits here and there. It's got terrific acting and writing, is original and unique. I love it. Can't wait for more Silo Fridays on Apple TV Plus and I guess you could almost call it uh I guess the comparison I'd make right now is it's like Lost in a Bunker. Lost Underground. Yeah. Fun. Maybe, um, well, I haven't seen anything, but maybe they'll get out of that silo and just be on the island. I'm lost. <laughs> They're the founders of the island, perhaps. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So right now, let's talk about the return of a hit Canadian show that debuts its second season on Monday, May 22nd on Global and Stack TV. That's Family Law. 
I used to do personal injury law, but then I got fired from my last firm for barfing in a courtroom after a bender. Now I work with my estranged father and two half-siblings who can't stand me. Such a colossal bitch. Feelings mutual. Oh, and I had to move back in with my mother after my husband kicked me out. My house, my rules. He also has custody of our kids. Can't you guys just talk it out? But enough about me. Tell me about your family. So season one of Family Law debuted in September of 2021. Season two is about to start. It's already been renewed for a third season. It airs in a variety of international markets, including the U.S. on the CW. The main character is Abigail Bianchi. And it follows uh, Abigail, a recovering alcoholic and lawyer, who goes to work with her estranged father and two half-siblings. She has never worked in family law before and suddenly finds herself having to manage not just her client's family dysfunction, but her own. She has to learn to navigate working with her dad and her siblings that she doesn't know as part of her probation, all while trying to maintain her sobriety. Her parents are played by Victor Garber and Lauren Hawley, and of course, mom and dad are more than happy to provide their expert advice. We are not getting divorced. You need to act like you're getting divorced. Forearmed is forearmed. That's, that's not the expression. Your mother's right. The longer you're out of the family home, the less likely it is you'll get to keep it if you divorce. And what's more important, the longer Frank has custody, the harder it's going to be to get your parenting time changed. Frank has been very successful in making you out to be the bad guy, but he is just as culpable. He says he wasn't going to sleep with her. Of course he was going to sleep with her. The pertinent question is, is that a deal breaker for you? You know what? You two are literally the last people I would ever go to for marriage advice. And this whole thing is giving me the creeps, so... The star of the show, Abigail, is played by Jewel State, a Gemini Award-nominated and Leo Award-winning actor. And you might not necessarily know who she is, but she is a beloved actor for a lot of sci-fi and fantasy fans because she's been in so much stuff. Like, she was in the cult classic series Firefly. She was in The Magicians, which was a show that I really enjoyed over the last few years. She was in Supernatural, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. Uh, but getting her to, getting to see her lead a show is exciting. We had an opportunity to speak with Jewel, and we wanted to know, since she was born in White Rock, B.C., and the show is shot in Vancouver, how nice is it to get to work so close to home? Oh, my God, it's the best. I'm so used to packing up and having to go to a hotel and FaceTime my family and film something like that. So this has been a dream. I get to be a part of my family's life. I have a little boy at home. Um, so getting to see him a couple times a day is, is everything and makes the job so much easier. But it's also Vancouver depicted as Vancouver in this show, which is, you know, hugely gratifying for a local like me. And it's really cool to see that this show was picked up by the CW. Like we, this is a, a sort of a growing trend of Canadian shows, Canadian made shows, shows that are about Canadians in Canadian settings that get picked up in the United States. Uh, so good for the CW for picking that up and good for Jewel and for Global for making this successful show, which once again, Family Law Season 2 debuts Monday, May 22nd on Global and Stack TV. Coming up next, 25 years since one of the greatest things in all of history came to an end. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And an anniversary this past week, the 25th anniversary of the finale of my favorite show, Seinfeld. So, uh, anyone from Salt Block D? I am. 
I'll talk slower. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love cell block D. My friend George is in cell block D. <laughs> what, what are you in for, sir? Murder one. Murder one. Ooh, watch out, everybody. Better be nice to you. I'm only kidding, sir. Lighten up. How about you? What are you in for? Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Don't steal any of my jokes. You suck. I'm going to cut you. Hey, I don't come down to where you work and knock the license plate out of your hand. All right, so let's, let's go. Come on. All right. Hey, you've been great. See you in the cafeteria. And just like that, on May 14th, 1998, Seinfeld was over forever. Um, that makes me feel old because I can remember it clearly. I was nervous about the finale all day. The countdown had begun weeks before. The last few episodes, while funny, were also kind of bittersweet. And frankly, I was just super bummed that my favorite show was going off the air. I was only 22 years old at the time, and the only other show that had ended that I really cared about up until then was Cheers five years before. So I'm sure other shows had come and gone, but nothing had the impact like Seinfeld. It had been my favorite show from the beginning, still was at the finale and still is 25 years later. I kind of feel like we took it for granted at the time somehow. Honestly, I mean, how often is the most critically acclaimed show also the most popular show? That almost never happens. And it was unique, which uh, was also rare, uh, rare that some a unique show will translate to good ratings. So Seinfeld was something special. The finale was one of these big ones preceded by an insane amount of hype to the point where there is actually just no way the show could have lived up to all the hype that came with it. Seinfeld's problem, I think, is that it tried to live up to that hype. They did this crazy trial story episode that in no way resembled a regular Seinfeld episode. It was one of, one of a, just a handful of episodes that wasn't set in New York City. And the lawyers in this trial in the episode got most of the lines. So they're huge sections of the finale of Seinfeld where the core four cast members of Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer are just sitting at the defense table in the courtroom not saying anything. And uh, in a show built on the four of them pouring over the minutia of their everyday lives, that was kind of weird a decision, weird to go that way. Add to that the fact that it was mostly also a clip show and you've got yourself a disappointed audience on your hand. To be fair, you could sort of get away with the clip show 25 years ago because, I mean, remember the clips were not readily available like they are today. You couldn't own Seinfeld at home. There was certainly no YouTube or anything to look clips up on. Even still, the finale was preceded by an hour-long retrospective clip show of the series, which was the true highlight of the night. So to have that hour-long clip show followed by a finale episode that was also a clip show was uh, just a bit weird. And not a lot of new laughs. Uh, the That end bit we just listened to where Jerry's doing stand-up in the prison was the funniest part. And it was actually added a week or two after they finished the episode so they thought they like you know what we can get some more laughs in here at the end why don't we have actually show them in prison and then uh show him doing some stand-up there because of course the beginnings of so many episodes were jerry doing stand-up i did like the premise of the finale philosophically of the four characters being judged by their peers after spending nine seasons being selfish and generally horrible citizens i had one prediction going into the finale that george would meet the real art vandalay which was a fake name he tried to use a number of times to get himself out of trouble and then wouldn't you know it the judge's name was Art Vandalay. Uh, I've long defended the Seinfeld finale. I'd kind of be lying if I said I thought it was great. When I pop in my DVDs, uh, which I do on a pretty regular basis, I usually just skip the finale. But uh, it's still, 25 years later, quite a milestone. It was uh, a heck of a show. There's never been anything like it before or since. It's just uh, out there on an island all by itself. And uh, if you haven't watched Seinfeld in a while, go check it out. It's all on Netflix uh, in that horrible 
horribly uh, elongated version of the widescreen that they uh. made that looks... Some shots just look just awful, but the laughs are still there. Well, that's what matters. They, they did that. So on your DVDs, is it the the, the original? Yeah, four by three. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't stand it. And I get it. I get why they've done this. We, it's the same problem with The Simpsons. Yeah. And when the when you take an old episode of The Simpsons that's framed in a four by three, and then put it to a sixteen nine. Sometimes, like, jo- gags are missing or jokes are missing because, like, a visual gag at the bottom of the screen might be gone. So yeah. hmm. I don't know if the, the, the answer is to do, uh, a, what would you call it, tilt and scan instead of a pan and scan? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Just just show it on the 4 by 3 People will, won't even notice it after a little while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's what's weird. On the f- If you go to Crave to watch Frasier, they have not done that. So the old episodes from the 90s are 4 by 3 But that show went on so long that for the last two seasons, the world had changed and widescreen was brought in. And then all of a sudden, it is widescreen and HD and stuff. So there's a vast uh, visual difference between seasons 8 and season 9 or something like that. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. I You mentioned that you remember it clearly. I also remember. <laughs> I was with my buddy Steve. And he was a big Seinfeld fan. I was sort of a late bloomer. Uh, it was just one of those shows where I, I started watching it on reruns. Yeah. And I, I actually, as I think about it now, it kind of similar to Breaking Bad, where I started watching that with just a few weeks left to go in before the season finale aired. So I watched all of it. So I got caught up in time for the second last episode of Breaking Bad. And I think that's what happened with Seinfeld, where I didn't, I don't know if I had seen every episode, but I had seen enough yeah. that I could tune in. So I think uh, I either saw the second last episode and then the finale, or it might have just been the finale. Like the finale may very well be the only episode of Seinfeld I ever saw live. But my buddy Steve and I went and picked up some KFC. Nice. And uh, the KFC was the best part of, <laughs> of the entertainment of the evening, as it turned out, because we were go. both disappointed in the finale. Yeah. But I would like to revisit it based on what you just said. It was such a big thing. I read this this week that... Um, it's this Frank Sinatra died that night, but his ambulance got from his home in New York to the hospital in record time because it was during the finale and traffic was noticeably less on the streets of New York City wow. because everyone is at home watching it. That is weird. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs>